I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beauty Bosses. I'm here with James Sun, the founder and CEO of Beauty Tap. Welcome. Yeah, nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks. So for those of you guys who aren't familiar with Beauty Tap, it's an online platform to basically bring K-beauty or all of the best K-beauty hacks to the rest of the world. So tell us what is Beauty Tap? Yeah, we started out as an online content play, so we have over 800 articles written by our editors and skincare experts about KBD trends and KBD products, um, and we do it for the English-speaking market. Okay, awesome. And um, tell me about what your sort of path to KBD was or has been. Yeah, you know, uh, I have a kind of an interesting perspective on uh, why I'm bringing KBD to the rest of the world. Um, and wait, I think we should pause for a second. First of all, so everyone's on the same page, what is K-beauty? K-beauty is really a genre that's been created by um, Korean beauty industry of bringing specific uh, products and routines and regimens uh, to the rest of the world. And so many people have heard of like the 10-step routine, which was really created in, in, in Korea. Um, but it's really, at the end of the day, Korean beauty products and regimens uh, that have been started. And are you somebody who uses Korean beauty products yourself? Yeah, so I'm kind of a uh, kind of a nerd, and so I tested uh, European versus Korean, then Japanese versus Korean, and now yes, I only use Korean beauty products. Um, what would you say differentiates Korean beauty products from the rest of the world? Because I feel like K beauty is really having a moment. People are really into um, masks, and people are into multi step routines, and you know, what, what do you think is so compelling about K-Beauty or what's different about it? I think that K-Beauty got popular, to be very frank, because of K-pop and K-dramas in the beginning. Um, my company actually analyzed 15 million Instagram posts on K-Beauty and geocoded it to a timeline. And it follows six months right after K-dramas and K-pop takes off in that particular country. But in terms of pure beauty, there's more skincare uh, clinics per capita than anywhere in the world in Korea. Yeah, and you know what's interesting from my perspective as a plastic surgeon, there are some meccas of plastic surgery around the world, and South Korea is one of them, Brazil is one of them, I think New York is one of them actually, interestingly, but um, plastic surgery is pretty omnipresent in South Korea. Do you yeah. find that? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's actually strange if you don't get plastic surgery especially as a female in Korea, and many males get plastic surgery as well. So what is it like growing up um, with that in the backdrop? Do you like have a sense of, of, of that? We were talking before this podcast started about what you were like when you were 11 and some of the little beauty hacks that you had, but um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Um, and then also, I'd love to hear more about what the experience um, is like having that in the backdrop. Yeah, so um, when I was 11 years old, as a boy, I was putting uh, orange peels, the inside of orange peels on my face because I thought that the vitamin C or the acid would neutralize the oil base on my face. 
And I was like, why did I start doing that? And I realized it's because my mom was really into skincare. And so I think Yeah, that's up, like so smart of you, right? Because now we're um, <laughs> using you vitamin know, C. <laughs> for everyone who's using my vitamin C serum, you know that it's a great antioxidant yeah. for brown spots and fine lines. So right. Ahead, yeah. of the t- ahead of your game. Right? Well, it was fun at the time. Um, but I think living in Korea, it's so inbred in you like to look good, to take care of your skin, to get stay out of the sun. It's from such a young age. It's just where, part of us. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Korea, and then I came here to the U.S. Uh, when I was in my elementary school years. But my parents were first generation, so they're completely Korean. And so even living in the U.S., they're like, take care of your skin, take care of your skin. Don't go out tanning. Don't go in the sun, right? And you have really nice skin. I, I think it's a combination of uh, always like how well you take care of yourself and also genetics. And so I never say it's only one, but certainly I do take care of my skin quite a bit. Okay, so tell us, let's kind of take it back to high school, college. What were you like back then and what were you thinking you were going to do with your life? Oh gosh, you know, when I was in high school and college, um, I, I, I thought I was going to be a, a doctor like you. <laughs> my parents wanted me to go to med school and... And I, I enjoyed chemistry, but I fell in love with computer science, and I still love computers, and I love technology, and so I really take a technology approach to everything I do now, um, but I, I really didn't know I'd be in the skincare or beauty business when I was in high school or college. When did that kind of occur to you? Um, you know, it actually just occurred in the last five years when I went back to Korea. I go to Korea every month. And I realized the innovation that was coming out of there excited me. And, and even as a male, I, I got into it so much that I'm like, why do I like this? Why do I like try these ingredients? And then I research it and I'm, I'm realizing that it's a, very, a lot of science to it. Yeah. And on that topic of men and women, I really think that self-care transcends your gender. I mean, about, oh, yeah. about at this time, about 15% of my patients are male and 85% mm. are female. So it's certainly skewing female. But, um, you know, with regard to wellness, self-care, skin care, and plastic surgical procedures, the balance is tipping more and more toward equal ratios of men and women. Yeah, I think more men are taking care of themselves and feeling okay about it. That it's not a feminine thing or a masculine thing, but it's a self-care thing. Exactly. It's the same way that you'd like take a vitamin or go to the gym right. or drink eight <laughs> glasses of water or whatever, hopefully. I mean, I never drink eight glasses of water. But... I do about six and a half. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but you got to go to the restroom a lot then. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it like flushes out your system. Your skin right. looks so good when you're hydrated. Yeah, it does. It does. Whenever I go to the airplane, because I'm on a plane every week and a half, um, I always take a sheet mask and I always take a serum on the plane uh, because do, I want to stay hydrated. Do people look at you funny? Um, you know, it's funny. In the U.S. they do. In Asia, no big deal. I'm a male with, this, uh, with a, a sheet mask on on their plane. Nobody looks at me funny. Do you think Asia is more progressive than the United States in terms of um, stigmas associated with plastic surgery and skincare and you know, beauty-based interventions? I think Asia is more receptive to uh, beauty interventions and skincare and, and plastic surgery. It's a norm there. It's not looked upon as, why are you doing that? It's like, hey, I just want to look better and I don't like this part of my face, so I'm going to fix it. And Do you think that that's kind of, you know, in the words of Bethany Frankel, coming from a place of yes? Like, do you think that, do you think that the fact that 
beauty interventions are so common in Asia or Korea in particular um, makes it harder for people's self-esteem? Or do you think that it's because people have good self-esteem that they want to do even more for themselves? Well, I, I actually have been, uh, I get the luxury of seeing both cultures, yeah. right? The U.S. way and the Korean way. Yeah. And they're polar opposites, right? Um, in Korea, can you imagine, let's say you post a job, right? and all the resumes require a photo. So you think about that in the US and you go, what are you talking about? Why would you need a photo? Because in Korea, it's so competitive for a job that the way you look actually is one of the factors of getting hired. Yeah. And so that tells you why people get plastic surgery and take care of themselves. Well, I don't know if it's that different in the United States or maybe it's just more insidious, right? Because, mm. at, you know, the person who wins the presidential election is always the more tall candidate. Mm -hmm. And the person who, you know, gets the job or gets the promotion or gets the raise is frequently the person who looks like the architect the, the archetype of what that person is quote unquote supposed to look like yeah the Im implicit biases that we have definitely are real and they're there totally um, we gravitate towards more attractive people even as little kids right yeah. and so i don't want to say that it doesn't exist in the u.s i think that in the u.s we try to like we try to not make that the focal point and think that there's a more morale behind our actions and how we think um but yeah in asia it's not a morality issue at all it's like yeah i want to look better i want to look better than you so i'm gonna do that i know there's something that's kind of upsetting about that though right like it's not fair but at the same time it's part of the human condition like we all want that right yeah i think so i mean i've never met someone that says i want to be the uglier uglier version of myself today <laughs> everyone wants to be the better version of themselves, totally, right? right? I completely agree with that. Are you a selfie a left side of the face or right side of the face? <laughs> well, I do right side of the face because I'm right hand dominant. And okay. so I think out of habit, I do right side of the face. But um, my left side, side is a little slimmer. Okay. <laughs> uh, we all have a little asymmetry. Right, um, right. Are you a left sider um, or a right sider? I like the camera to take my right side more than my left side. Yeah. Yeah. So I always angle my right side above my left side. That's funny. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit fuller on most people. And right. so there's a study coming out in, uh, um, in one of our journals about that. So stay tuned. <laughs> um, okay. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the business side of Beauty Tap. So it started as an online platform and now you guys have actually expanded into the real world also. So you have a storefront and tell us why you decided to do that because isn't e-commerce where it's at? Yeah, we opened up a store at South Coast Plaza in uh, Los Angeles. And South Coast Plaza is like one of the most uh, coveted places in retail, in, at least in LA area. And the reason we did was when we have a bunch of brands online and someone hasn't tried it, it's really hard to buy. Like, are you going to buy a $100 serum just because someone says to do it? No, you want to touch and feel it, smell it. And so that's where I, we're testing this omni-channel uh, approach to skincare. So how do you decide which products you're going to carry on your site? Um, so we kind of have a filtering process. Uh, we look for uh, science-driven uh, formulas that have very clear ingredient uh, that, uh, that, that already has some backing and there's an innovation to it. So that's kind of our filtering is science, ingredients, and innovation. Okay, cool. And um, tell me more about 
this new product that you brought in to me, and I'm actually trying it right now. Yeah, so this is called uh, a, uh, it's an ampule. It's called an Afterglow Ampule, and it's by uh, our new brand that we launched called AZN Labs. And we use an ingredient as a base called astaxanthin, and astaxanthin is a very, very strong antioxidant, actually 6,000 times the strength of vitamin C. And, but it's really difficult uh, as an ingredient to handle. Uh, she does not, or he, if you want to put a, a, a gender to it, the, he, he doesn't get along with others. He doesn't like to swim. He doesn't like to even breathe. It oxidizes so quickly, but it's very potent and strong. And we basically uh, used a emulsion technology to keep it in its nano form and active and basically created um, a topical formula from it with astaxanthin and other ingredients in there to really soak into your skin. And when you use it, you'll get an immediate kind of a dewy glow. Um, and, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, we just launched it. And what's kind of cool is we got selected to uh, launch this at the Oscars at the end of the month. And so we're launching this uh, with, to all the celebs there. Cool, that's very neat. Um, do you ever get any pushback being a man in charge of a like a kind of a female-driven beauty brand? Yeah, um, I, I don't on the business side, mm -hmm. but it can be a perception issue on the consumer side. So I take a very science approach to all the ingredients that we do. Mm -hmm. And that's my background as a computer science major. Um, and I explain to people, I'm not trying to make you feel better. I'm trying to find ingredients that work. Yeah, I feel like that's cool and interesting and simple. What do you think um, is your main focus in terms of marketing? I know you said you're doing some stuff for Oscars gifting, and are you also focusing on digital or social media? What's kind of the, your strategy? Yeah, so for this new line that we're launching, that's a great question. Um, we're doing some PR, we're doing some uh, uh, Instagram, but really, we're just trying to get users who love the brand at an organic level, who try it and tell us feedback and say, hey, this is what it did for us. This is what it did for me. The Oscars just kind of happened because there was an editor that used our product for a month and she had a friend who was doing the Oscars and she said, oh my gosh, just got rid of my fine lines. And then they contacted us. So we got very lucky. Um, but I think for us, the marketing strategy is start small and just get groups of users that really love it and grow from there. What do you think about people who find skincare to be frivolous? I think that there are people out there that think that it's all genetics and that skincare doesn't help. And I just have to vehemently disagree because I know what happened to me. Like I used, I have, I have laugh lines and fine lines around my eyes because I have very thin skin around my eyes. And now I'm, you know, 41 years old and I use skincare and I use these products and I don't have fine lines anymore, as you can see. Like it actually, I have no Botox, no surgery, nothing. That's all I did was use skincare around my eyes. And so I know it works. So it's a matter of taking care of, I think yourself and your skin is absolutely a critical part to kind of not reverse aging but slowing it down yeah what do you think the internet and kind of the digital era has done for some of these technological developments because 
interestingly, I talk to people from all over the world, and I know that K-beauty is cool and it's a thing, but from a science standpoint, you know, Americans and Koreans and Brazilians, and we all go to the same meetings, we're all friends, and we all, from a science standpoint, recognize no national boundaries. So, you know, when we say things like, you know, use a retinol and vitamin C at night and use a hyaluronic and an SPF in the morning, those are sort of brandless, boundaryless, countryless types of things. So I don't like totally understand K-beauty as a phenomenon because if it's science-based beauty, isn't it just science beauty? Yeah, because if you look at a lot of the U.S. Browns, uh, brands now, like, you know, Glossier, Drunk Elephant, all these guys, they're using uh, <laughs> or a lot of the same concepts of K-beauty, and K-beauty is using a lot of concepts from them, right? So it's definitely beyond international, and that's why I say that K-beauty has really created a category out of marketing. It really, to me, is K-beauty is a marketing term because it came from Korea, and the Koreans did it very well. But in terms of when you're down to the science and the formula, yeah, whether you get it from Korea or Japan or the U.S., if you're using the same formula, it's just skincare. Yeah, and to that point, for those of you guys listening, if you want to know my two cents on generic versus name brand drugs, you know, it's okay if your doctor prescribes you generic acetaminophen. That is the same thing as Tylenol. And like on some level, good skincare that's science-based is all about the molecules. And you need to find the products that you know, meet the same level of efficacy and quality and don't buy garbage and put it on your skin. But at the same time, um, you have to find the ones that give you the best experience. Right. And I will say this, though. I've seen um, where branding, I think, does matter is trust. Yeah. Um, You know, I could use a no-name brand that says, I've got all these great ingredients, all this vitamin C, all this stuff. Yeah. I try it and it doesn't work or it's fake or it's expired. Because a brand doesn't have to be accountable for it. Exactly. Whereas if you're a real brand out there, you could be sued. You could, you know, you, you're, you're, you're maintaining a certain brand image. You're going to be careful. Exactly. So I think it's more about trust. Yeah. I think that's actually a really valid point. Because it's interesting, even though for me, my skincare line has become um, this bigger other thing apart from me because it bears my name I feel a tremendous amount of personal accountability for it right. and it's like you know that's my name on that box right. it better, be, it better right. be good it better be made in an approved facility it better meet all standards of you know quality and safety it better right. be like legit this I better use it on my own face right we're not buying pens or shoelaces we're no, buying something that's going on our skin yeah right? totally and yeah. it becomes personal that's right Okay, so I have a little bit of a more philosophical question, and I sort of hate questions like this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Um, what do you, how would you describe the difference between an archetypical beauty standard in, um, like from a K-beauty standpoint or um, in Asia versus in the United States? I think um, there is definitely crossover. Uh, there's concentric circles and there's, and there's a middle there. But uh, where I see the biggest difference is in Korea, it's really about uh, less makeup, uh, very natural, very dewy, very glassy, um, uh, kind of letting your skin be the beauty rather than the beauty on your skin. Yeah, totally. Because skin is very beautiful. If someone has nice skin, they can get away with drugstore makeup or, you know, the finest makeup ever. But, or anything in between, but if you don't have great skin, you're a little bit more reliant on makeup. Right, right. Um, 
and that's where in the U.S. I think people. I mean, I don't want to say U.S. because U.S. is so big. I know. That there, and it may, yeah, I know. That's why I <laughs> prefaced know. it by saying, "Forgive the horrible question." <laughs> but, but I do think that the color side in the U.S. is more uh, of a focus on Instagram and lifestyle, whereas in Korea, it's more definitely geared towards natural. Yeah. Okay, so I heard that you were on The Apprentice. Is yes. Is that true or false? <laughs> um, I, I will have to say yes. Okay, and I heard that you were placed as the runner-up on the show. Uh, yes. What, I, when, was, when were you on The Apprentice and what was that like? So that was in 2008. Um, I went on it. Uh, as our president, Donald Trump, was the host and he fires people every week. And I went on it because I've never seen another Asian person on it, like an Asian guy. I was frustrated to not see my representation. Totally. And so that's where I, why I went, went on the show. Um, and then I ended up doing pretty well. I got to the end. And it was an interesting experience uh, being on The Apprentice, getting two and a half hours of sleep a night for nine weeks. Oh, my God. What's our president like in person? Yeah. <laughs> Loaded question. Um, he's, no pressure. <laughs> uh, you know, what you see on TV is nothing surprises me because I've, I've I've spent a lot of time with them. Um, but the parts that you don't see are the little comments he makes that are very charming and funny. Um, he, he, he is very personable one-on-one or when you have a group in person. He's a good conversationist. But when you what you see from what he's doing out in the media today or as a president... I'm not surprised by either, so I can't say, oh, he's not like that. Oh, he is like that. But the parts you don't see are the little little conversations that he's pretty good at, actually. That's interesting. Does it make you think about the presidency differently? Because you have some unique insights, spending nine weeks closely together with Donald Trump. Not many people can say that. Yeah, I, well, I didn't know he'd be the president back then. Right, I know he did. Um, I, you know, I... I think when I look at the president, um, I look at him for what he, I guess, who he is and what he's done. I don't agree with a lot of what he stands for. I don't agree with this, a lot of his political views. But um, I know that our electoral system elected him, and so he's our president, so I go with it. And I know him personally, and I would say that he's not someone that I would probably model my life after, for sure. Um, but what can you say? He's the president, right? Like he got there, he did it. And so now will he stay there? That's, that's questionable too. Um, but it, it kind of tells you a little bit about how America works. It's a place where anyone could do anything. Truly. Anyone could do anything here. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. When I was, um, graduating college, it was the 300th year um, anniversary of Yale when I graduated and we had speakers from both sides of the aisle so we had George W. Bush and Hillary Clinton and they were both graduation speakers so it was like a really good year and George W. Bush gave a really funny speech that where he was like to all you A students in the audience congratulations and to all the C students out there one day you too can become president. And everyone like died laughing. It was very funny. He was very self-deprecating. And Hillary Clinton was amazing also. And it was cool because they were you sort of have both sides of the aisle. But to your point, you can really do anything. Yeah. And 
but but study hard and get those A's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the lesson I learned is, wow, you can do anything in this country both ways, right? Did you have any businesses or anything like that before you got into the skincare world? Um, yeah, I was a tech guy. I, I started a mobile app company. I had a uh, data science company. Um, so I've, I've very much been in consumer data uh, pretty much my whole career. Are you sharing any metrics or numbers about BeautyTap and what you guys are doing in terms of revenue and profitability and things like that? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we keep those uh, pretty close because we're a private company. Um, but the data points that I really enjoy are, uh, you know, we get about 500,000 uh, users, that, unique users that come on our site a month that love K-Beauty. And so I get a lot of data points of what they search for, what they ask for, what they talk about. And uh, I see trends. And one trend that I see that's very interesting is people are now looking for single SKUs versus one brand that represents their whole routine. And so that's, that's very interesting to see. fascinating, yeah. yeah. Um, and I have noticed that too, that yeah. people are really curating um, their life. And I think it's because of Instagram. If you look at Instagram posts like their beauty haul or their beauty routine, no one has one brand that has all of it, right? So I think users know you can't be a good hamburger shop, pizza shop, and taco shop all at the same time. So they're finding the individual SKUs that work for them. So less brand dependent, but more ingredient-driven personalization for them. That's very astute, and I think that that is going to be a trend that we're going to see more of, where everything is super customized and micro-optimized. And even in my approach to seeing patients, you know, there's no one cookie-cutter glow up or you know facial optimization that a person gets it it's right. customized to your unique features in the same way you know your skin is customized to what you want yeah yeah i, I definitely see that that being a big trend um i mean your background is really interesting to see that you you have your own skincare line but you also are a plastic surgeon so you you see a different aspect of what people's needs are and when they want to go under the knife versus when they want to get topical treatments right that's, that, to me, is very fascinating as well. No, it's been very cool. And, like, the thing that I love most about what I do from a mechanistic standpoint when I'm here in the office is that it's fully vertically integrated. That mm. I'm very passionate about the entire concept of wellness and beauty. And so whether somebody's at the very top of the funnel and they want, like, you know, a little retinoid or a little eye cream or a little lip gloss, you know, that's one type of patient. Um, and... When people get a little further down the funnel, they may consider things like microneedling and lasers or even injectables, Botox, fillers, right. or surgical procedures. And and actually, a lot of people consider the entire vertical um, column, but it's neat to be able to meet someone where they are because it's not just about, like you know this too from what you do, but it's not just about seeing someone and saying, okay, you need X, Y, and Z, because what if they don't want that or it's not in their plan or they don't want to take the downtime or they, you know, it's about customization. Yeah, for sure. And some people want results fast and some people want it more in the long term and, and, and still natural into it. It's like the right? beauty marshmallow <laughs> test. Are you going to like delay gratification right. and not eat the marshmallow yeah. or do you need it right then? Right, right, right. Um, okay, so we're... We're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you a few more questions um, about advice that you have for um, young people or really people of any age who are listening to this show who want to know a little bit more about what it means to start your business. Like, I, uh, what do you do if you have a great idea? I always say, um, 
get your product out there fast. It's never going to be perfect and iterate quickly and do version 2.0. Uh, so many people wait until they think their product is perfect. And by then, it's never going to happen. So iterate by getting your community feedback, customer feedback, and then get your 2.0 out there as soon as you can. I like that because it's sort of, you know, the, the age-old story of self-improvement. You have to self-improve and iterate with your products. Right. No one was born perfect. <laughs> okay. And then do you think that Instagram is the next big thing? And, um, and if so, how do we master Instagram? And if not, what's the next big thing after that? I'm still trying to figure out um, how to uh, really make Instagram work outside of branding. I think Instagram is the place to, for branding right now. But, you know, I've been through a lot of these technology waves of social networks and social media, even from like MySpace to Friendster to Facebook. Like, I've seen them I all, right? I definitely have Friendster <laughs> and MySpace. Right? So you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I think... to make sure those are deleted before we air <laughs> this podcast. Without, like being able to predict exactly what the next platform is, I do think what's very interesting, and I see trends of this in Asia, it's uh, video commerce, short video commerce, not the YouTubers who do five minutes long, but we're talking about real time. Imagine a home shopping network meets influencer meets 45 seconds and a commerce engine around that. I'm seeing a lot of product move in Asia with this format. Very cool. Okay, so last question for you. Um, and I ask everybody who's on the podcast, you know, beauty means so many different things to so many different kinds of people. What does beauty mean to you? You know, I think for me, um, if I were to just sum it up, beauty means uh, diversity. Um, there's beauty regimens, beauty products from all over the world, and one should discover the one that they love. Just because I'm from uh, Korea doesn't mean I can't find a great beauty product from South America and vice versa. I think beauty is a global thing and it's the discovery process of learning different ingredients and regimens that makes the diversity of one's culture come alive through the beauty product itself. That's very cool. And I think that's a perfect message, especially for our kind of globalized era. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has thank been you. so fun. I feel like we could hang out all day, but <laughs> alas, we must wrap up. And um, where can people find you? Um, you know, I'm like, it sounds weird, but I'm a really private person. I uh, I don't do any Instagram or anything like that. Which our companies do. Um, so I'm on Instagram at Beauty Tap and also at Asian Labs. But my personal, I don't do any of it. Awesome. Well, check it out, and we can't wait to hear about all the cool things you're up to next.